we're going to continue this Sunday on studying consecration. And it's such a great topic. It's such a, a, a deep topic. Amen. And today I want to focus on holiness. Now, holiness is more of a destination. You can't, you can't, you know, it's like pride and humility. You can't say you're humble. You can't uh, claim holiness per se because that's something that God attributes to us. The Bible says our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. So our, our most uh, best holiest person is as filthy rags. For the Tim is pointing something, so not sure what he's saying there, but never mind. We'll, we'll get through the technical difficulties, amen, this morning. But you know, so the, the very best of us, we're still a million miles from God. <laughs> so it, on a scale, if we were to plot, if we could plot such a thing as righteousness and holiness, so some people may be two inches closer to God, but we're all filthy rags as far as his. So holiness is something that is attributed and declared, and we're going to look at that. He said, and I've quoted this so many times because it really is a big help to me. He said to Abraham in Genesis 17, walk before me. And the be thou holy was actually a declaration from God. He was saying, you walk before me and I'm going to make you holy. You leave her of the Chaldees. And as I've said before, and what Paul said in Romans 8, I declare you holy. He calls those things that are not as though they are. Okay. I did not switch it. Okay, that's what was different. Amen. Well, we'll get there. Let's, let's get this going here again. There we go. Now you can see it. Amen. Amen. He declares those things that are not as though they be. I'm so glad because God calls us holy. He declares us holy based upon his own sovereign judgment and choice. Amen. Our theme scripture this morning, our focus scripture is from 2 Corinthians 7.1. It says, having therefore these promises, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So holiness to me is like a destination. Sanctification is the means or the, the process to get to that destination. It's not, it's not something that uh, uh, you, you, uh, you wake up and you say, I'm holy. And one of the most amazing things to me was when Paul, I believe in the Philippians, he said, it's not as if I have attained. Right? That was 30 years into his ministry. He was, he was coming to the end of his ministry. And he's saying, it's not as if I have attained, but I press towards the mark of the high calling. That's what this journey is. It's a high calling. Amen. It's not something that is common or, or in the whole Old Testament they would call it profane. Something that is cheap as I talked about before. So let's start to look at that definition of Holiness, starting in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is Kodesh. Leviticus 11.44 says, For I am the Lord, your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. I said we can't make ourselves holy, but we can separate ourselves. Right? We can remove ourselves from things that defile. Therefore ye shall sanctify yourself, and ye shall be holy. If we, if we start sanctification then we will achieve the destination that we're looking for as far as God's declaration 
upon us. I believe as soon as Abraham took that first step on his way to the promised land, God's declaration rested upon him. That's why he called him righteous because he believed. Because he took that first step of faith, God declared him righteous. He says, he shall be holy for I am holy. Neither shall he defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. See, God had asked the Jews and had given them all these animals to make a distinction, to teach them a difference, to show them uh, in, 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 in choosing animals even. Not that the animals per se were that terrible, as we know Paul, uh, Peter in the New Testament said, learned that if he gave thanks and blessed it, everything was okay. But God wanted to teach them in the Old Testament a, a principle of separation. And we see that this principle of separation is what leads us on that path or sanctification that leads us on that path that leads to holiness. Psalms 29 verse 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Can holiness be beautiful? Can holiness be beautiful? Well, I think so. I think that, that, that holiness is beautiful because it represents a relationship with God. A relationship with God. Let's look a little bit more. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, speaking about Jesus, he said, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And I quoted this scripture before, and again, it's one of my favorite scriptures. It says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. All we have to do is to make sure we're separated and God will start that journey of perfection for us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now that's not talking about once saved, always saved. What it's talking about is that his work is done. The Bible says when he comes back, he's not coming back to deal with sin. He has dealt with sin. His one offering is done. It's just for us now to stay in the ark. It's just for us to claim uh, uh, God's promises of salvation and to continue on the journey so that we can reach that perfection, that promised land, that Canaan. So the question is, how do we start? How do we, how do we start on this journey? Well, holiness is really um, all about a covering. It's really about a covering. Because as I taught uh, a couple weeks ago, when the, when the uh, prodigal son came back, he was in a mess. He had come straight from the pig farm. He had been living with the pigs. Look what the father did. The Bible said he saw him afar off. He ran to meet him. So he, sha- he saved him a whole bunch of shame. Because not anybody else, no, no, none of the household servants or not too many people had seen the son in this state. Aren't you glad that Jesus covers us? He gives us his righteousness. And in the Old Testament, those were the garments, the special garments that the high priest wore that were, were unique to him. So the first thing the father did was call for the best robe. To do what? Cover him. So that when he walked back to the house, nobody knew what had happened altogether. All they saw was the son looking good. 
looking good because the Father had covered him. God will cover us when we come back to Father's house. That is what his righteousness, that is his declaration, because what the Father was saying is, you're still my son. You're still my son. And isn't that awesome? So for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, separated. Where do we start? How do we start on this journey of separation and to holiness? Well, the Bible tells us that we, when we come to Christ, we are a three-part being, right? We are a, a spirit, soul, and body, or soul, spirit, and body. Let's read it in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, and the very God of peace. This was Paul uh, writing to the Thessalonian church said, and the very God of peace sanctify. There you go. Separates you holy. That means all of you, your whole body, soul, and spirit, and be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is what where we start is with the our spirit, our soul, and our body, because there are some separate things there. There are some separate things. Paul in Romans made that clear. He said, I, when I want to do good, sometimes evil is present with me. And he says, so there's a war going on, right? There is a war going on. And, and, and the only way that I can win that war is through the Spirit. Amen. So let's look at that a little bit more. So sanctification, if you look, look at the Scripture, it says, And pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go a little bit further. So sanctification, the only way we can do this is by the Spirit. Because how do we get the covering of God back? It's through the Spirit. We have to be born of the water and the Spirit. So let us look at this process of sanctification through the Spirit. So the Bible tells us that the Spirit... Does what? In Ephesians, it says it seals the soul. Remember, we're a three-part being, being. It seals the soul. What about sanctification of the body? What do we do when we come to first come to Christ that separates us? To get clean, what do you normally do? You have to wash. We washed. The sanctification of the body started when we went down into the baptismal tank. So there are several parts to this process. There is sanctification by the Spirit, which seals the soul. That's God's part. That's not something we can make happen. But certainly we can choose to be baptized. That's our part. Do you see what I'm saying about this process? So by baptism and washing of the Word, that's our part. So there is a part for God and there's a part for us. When we come to Him in faith believing, He will sanctify our soul through the Spirit. We, when we acknowledge him, will sanctify our bodies by confession and repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. That's the start of the journey. That's the start of the journey. The start of Israel's journey was crossing the Red Sea. And we are told in the New Testament that that was a sanctification process. Because it says in, I think, Corinthians 10, they were all baptized unto Moses in the, in the sea. And in the cloud, you see what God did there? He separated them from Egypt. There was another route they could have taken into the Canaan that didn't involve all that trouble, didn't involve crossing deserts, didn't involve going across the Red Sea. But God wanted a sanctification process. 
before they crossed over into the promised land. And it was so important that he repeated it 40 years later for those who had been born in the desert. Nobody got over into the promised land without going through a sanctification, a separation process. And in fact, when they crossed over, they weren't finished because there had been some who had been born who had not been circumcised. So the first thing they did after they crossed the Jordan, they had to be circumcised. There had to be a circumcision of the heart when we start that sanctification process. Amen. So God does his part by filling us with the spirit. We have to do our part by repentance, godly sorrow, and being born of the water. Amen. So we've looked at, at, at the, the initial sanctification. Now I want to look in detail. How does God seal us? How do we protect ourselves once we have started the journey from defilement? You know, uh, those of you years ago, it was a big deal for women to do canning, right? And you'd buy those mason mason jars and they'd boil up whatever it was and add sugar and make their own. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) My only part in that process has been opening the cans and eating it. (laughs) But the whole purpose of that, it started out with some water, didn't it? You put the stuff into water and you turned up the heat and you purified it. Then, Then you put it into a jar. Then what did you do? You sealed it. You sealed it. And now that thing was preserved. It could stay on the shelf for a long, long time. Until someone broke the seal. Then you opened up a channel for something to get in there. So we're going to look at how this works. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's such a profound verse if we, if we just meditated upon it. Because you can be in some great trouble, both physically or financially or, you know, through sickness. And yet God can give you a peace that defies human understanding. I, I, the only testimony I can give is mine or my wife's. But I told you when we had a house fire in Michigan and... The house was burning down, and, and, and I got there first because it was a Sunday night, and a uh, big crowd and everything, and then my, the, my wife came a little bit later, and she was driving down the hill, and the neighbor could see her in the car, smiling. <laughs> and my only thought was, you know, I said, Lord, don't let him think we did this. Because <laughs> she's smiling, and her car is burning up, the house is burning up, and she's smiling. I, I, you know, couldn't you look a little bit, you know, a little bit like somber or as befits the occasion? He noticed it. He, he tried, Your wife is smiling. Jesus. <laughs> Don't let the insurance people hear that. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. You can have a peace that passes human understanding. Human understanding. It makes no sense that she should be smiling when the car she had just got, beautiful red car, Grand Am, Pontiac Grand Am, was burning up. It was six months old. (laughs) 
And she's driving down the road, looking at everything, smiling, to the point where people are noticing. That's the first thing that came through my mind. Please, Lord, don't let them think this was some kind of um, setup. You know, don't let them think this was a... And I, I think they were suspicious. They, they, they sent investigators and they, they had to look at everything. And the cause of the fire was a generator because the power had been out. And we had a generator running things at the back of the house. And it had, was too close to the house and it had caught the garage and everything. But I was, I was worried because, you know. But the point I'm trying to make is God can give you a peace even in, in desperate circumstances. So that Satan's attack can't get through your seal. And you know, sometimes when I get to that point is when I realize God has to remind me. Because I'm human. Don't know about you. But there's still times when I look at situations and I go, man, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? I'm human. I have my times when I'm looking at the situation and thinking, I don't, have a, I don't have an answer. I don't know how this works out. And then that's when God has to remind me, look back. You've been in similar situations where you had no way out. And first of all, I don't know why you're worrying about this because you can't do nothing about it. It's at that point, actually, that I tend to relax and say, okay, God, there isn't anything. You're right, God. There isn't anything I can do about this. I need your peace. I need your peace. And that's when I'm able to give the situation to God. Because worry and fear is a channel of defilement. It'll take away your peace. You can't focus on God. Right? And that's why in Philippians 4, 7, he says, guard your hearts. When that starts to come, when you start to think of how bad the situation is, you need to relax and chill and realize, that's right, you need to chill and realize that you can't fix this anyway. So no matter how much you worry and fret, this is a God opportunity. This is a God opportunity. And you know what God did with that house thing. He gave us a much better house, twice as much house. It made, made, made an impossible thing possible. Amen? So our soul is being attacked by the by three there's three avenues channels of defilement our mind which is our logical way of thinking we start thinking about stuff and how we're going to get out of this and how we're going to meet this demand and how we're going to pay this bill or how we're going to get through this sickness and we start to try and reason it out that's a channel of de defilement the other way that it can get to our soul is through our emotions, our heart, can be a channel of defilement, right? Someone says something, and it hurts us. It's it, our response is emotional. It may not really make sense logically, that, but we can't think straight. If we were to think straight, we would understand they didn't even have a thought about what they were saying. They didn't really mean it. If you were to tell them, they would go, no, that's not what I meant. But at the time, we are in our emotions, and it's another channel of defilement to take away our peace. So what the Holy Spirit does is this. The Holy Spirit seals the soul. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Amen. And it, it, it still leaves the mind and the heart. 
because that's yours. But it blocks, let me go back. It blocks Satan. He no longer has a direct route to your soul once you receive the Holy Spirit. So the other two channels are still there if you don't guard. And that's why he says in Philippians 4, 7, guard your heart. Guard your emotions. Because that's, that's how we, probably the fastest way we lose our peace is through our emotions, right? Someone will say things, some circumstance will boil up. Someone will cut you off in traffic on the way to church. And then that just takes away your peace. Okay? So the two channels, Satan wants to both attack your soul and the body. But the first channel God has provided a covering for, and that is the spirit. And it eliminates Satan directly attacking your soul. So now it's up to you for the other two channels. Sister Browning. Okay, she says that to guard your heart in the Amplified means to build a garrison over your... Amen. So we have to look at what Paul was saying in Philippians. How do we guard our hearts? Amen. Think about it. And our minds. You see what he says? Guard your hearts and minds. That's why I show two remaining channels through the, the seal of the Spirit. But the, the direct attack of Satan on your soul, once you've been filled with the Spirit, he can't do that because the house is now possessed. It's not empty anymore. God has put that robe over you. Nobody can see that you had come from the pigsty. He's put back the ring of sonship on your finger. And then he escorted him back into the house. And the servants knew it, not a thing. They couldn't make no accusation. No, he's got the, he's got the best robe. <laughs> he certainly has the father's favor because that's his favorite robe. I can tell you this. Despite me, despite you, you have the father's favor. Did you know? Let me say it again. Despite ourselves, we have the father's favor. See, that's why Ephesians 3, 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed. See, I, I described the, 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 the preserving process of making those things. The first thing you do, you put it in water. And you boil it. When we were baptized, we were put in water. Amen? And the Holy Spirit washed us, so to speak, because of obedience. Because we believed that our sins were washed away. When we exhibited godly sorrow... Right? And we made a confession of faith. That was for our body. So that's how that works. The baptism blocks the attack, the accusation of Satan on our bodies. Because the Bible says that when we arise, it says all things, all things are right. Now, again, we still have those two channels that are there all the time. Our mind and our hearts. But that's what I'm trying to say about consecration. When we come and we were first baptized, that washed away our sins. And now how are we doing it? How are we, how are we still keeping the body sealed? That's right. You got it. Amen. Somebody been listening. Amen. By the washing of the word. That preserves the body and God takes care of the soul. You see how this works? So the channels of defilement are just two more, two things now that Satan still has a way of getting us. And that's why it says in Philippians 4, 7, guard your hearts and minds. 
both things. Because that's the only way left he can mess with you. Through deceit, through accusation, and through, through getting you worried and getting you fearful. In the Old Testament, nearly every time an angel showed up, the first thing they said was what? <laughs> Fear not. The fact that God has sent a messenger to you should tell you, don't worry, he's got this. Right? If a messenger starts speaking to you from God, that means God is listening. You have his full attention. You're the apple of his eye. Fear not. You know why? Because all Satan can do right now is accuse. Yeah, you messed up. With me, it's, it's let's see, it's about 50 years ago. He'll still throw something 50 years ago. Yeah, you messed up when you were 18. I have, I have to guard my heart and say, listen, you liar, you slew foot devil. I am washed and clean. <laughs> That's what he is. He's a liar. Now, the more we hear the word, see what it does? It pushes back the boundary even further. <laughs> We're initially washed by baptism, and then we are continually washed by the word. And that's why some people, Satan can attack their body because they're not getting any word. They're not, but you who are getting word, you're going to remember this sometime during the week. You're going to say, you know what? This is a hopeless situation by man, but I'm going to have a supernatural peace. I'm going to, I'm going to completely give the devil a black eye this week. He thinks I should be all flustered. He thinks I should be all worried, but instead I'm just going to leave it to you, God, because I can't fix this anyhow. I can't fix this anyhow. And when I realize that, when I realize that, that this is a God moment, that's usually when I relax. Because I say, you know what, God? If you don't do it, it ain't going to happen. Therefore, I'm going to just leave it to you. And that's how you can guard your mind and your heart. Amen. And then the thing that can build us up is, of course, the Word. And the reason why the Word can get through both to the body and through to the soul is because it can come through our mind and our heart. We can have the same mind as Christ. Isn't that what the scripture says? Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So those same channels that can be used for defilement can be used for consecration, can be used for encouragement. And this is how we defeat the devil, by filling those channels up. Nothing else can get through. If, you, if that's what you're thinking about the whole time is, Lord, how can I please you? How can I be in your favor? Then you don't have time to be thinking about other stuff. Amen. Um, we, you were here yesterday and I was on the phone with somebody and I said to them, look, you got all this, all this material and you're, 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 you're not using it. Why don't you start using the material? Why don't you start listening to I was really telling him, block the channel. That's what I was really trying to tell him. You need to block the channel because what was happening was he, the channels were wide open and he was, he was, he was being tempted to, to get defiled. And I said, you got all this material, you got all this stuff. You can fill the channel. When you're being tempted, that's how you block the channel of defilement. Fill it with godly stuff. Whereby you're sealed until the day of redemption. So that is how the process works. God gives us the Holy Spirit to seal the soul. And baptism and then the washing of the word 
preserves the body, keeps us clean. Isn't that awesome? So, but holiness and the, the route to consecration is actually modeled in the Old Testament. It's modeled in the whole uh, picture of the tabernacle and the, and the temple. Because really, it's a model of a body, right? It's a model of a body. We have the outer court, which represents your body. We have the holy place, which represents your soul. And the most holy place, which is the spirit. And so when you see the description of the tabernacle or the temple, it always starts from the inner to the outer. We're going to look at that because there were some interesting things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Anyone, just to see who remembers, there were three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. Anyone remember what they were? All right. Got some Bible students here today. So now, why did God... If the whole thing is a model of the body, what was, the, what was God trying to tell us by putting three things inside the ark? Let's look at that today. Holiness starts with the ark in, in, in modeling because in the description of the tabernacle, the first thing that is described, it starts with the ark. It doesn't start with the tents and the poles. It starts from inside the description going out. Reason why, Matthew 6, 21 tells us why. For where your treasure is, there will, be, there will your heart be also. That is so deep. My son, um, Paul, some years ago described that about, you know, how you can train your heart to, 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 to be in a certain place. He told the story of this young lady who, you know, wasn't really all that, but she asked him out to the prom. And him being a gentleman didn't want to, you know, hurt her or anything. He decided he, he, would, he would go to the prom with her. And he said his heart wasn't there with her, you know. But because he decided that he was going to make a good effort to, to be pleasant, he said, you know, it turned out to be a good evening because he, ma- he trained his heart. You understand? We can train our heart, amen, to be in a certain place so that we, we are physically here. But where is your heart today? If your heart is here, this is where your treasure is. Amen. Amen. This is where your treasure is. Philippians 4, 7. Remember, we're talking about guarding our heart. And again, this scripture, peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. What do they symbolize? We know that the Ark represents the presence of God and he should fill our soul and our heart. Let's look at some of these things. So the three things of of the heart and the mind that sets us apart and sanctifies. These things were set apart and put in there and were never taken apart. Again, they were sanctified. They were set apart. So sanctification, as I've said before, is what leads to holiness. Another word is consecration. So the three things were the tablets, the rod, and the manna. Interesting. Of all the things that God could have designed to put in the Ark of the Covenant, why those three things? What was the symbolism of that? What was God trying to tell us? Well, remember in Philippians it says do what? Guard your heart. And I've said and we've said that the, the word is the one thing that both washes the body and also gets to the soul. 
What does Psalms 119.11 say? There it is. Do you see that? The tablets, God's word, was hidden in the ark. Remember what we're talking about now, guarding the heart. God told Moses, put the tablets in there, the word of God. When the word of God is in your heart, that's what will come to mind. That's what will come to mind when you're in a situation, when you're, when you're in fear. A word will come back to you. The Bible says you will hear a word in your ear. This is the way. I believe a true spirit-filled Christian, when they're in trouble, a word will come to them. A word will come to them. A wor- It'll be fear not. Or, 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 yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. A word will come to you. Amen. A word will come to you. I believe that if we have been making sure that the word is in there, which is what we're doing today, that word will be there, ready. Amen. Thy word. When David said, thy word have I hid in my heart, it means he was a, a, someone who was taking up the scriptures. He was looking at the Torah, the, what had been written before. Daniel had, uh, did the same thing. He was reading the book of Jeremiah. He says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We're talking about how we block the channels of defilement that take away from our consecration. So one of the symbols was the tablets. It was the symbol of the covenant. It was the symbol of obedience. It was supposed to be the symbol of obedience. James 1.22 says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. John 15, 7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. So the, the, the tablets, I believe, represented the word of God. And in the symbolism, that should be in our heart. It was kept in the ark, the center, the heart of the tabernacle. Now, the next thing that was in that box was a strange thing. Aaron's rod. Now, that's a strange thing for God to put inside the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Anyone got any comments? Why do you think, and there's no wrong answers, have you ever thought about it? Why did God choose that particular thing to put inside the Ark of the Covenant? It was actually an al- from an almond tree, Sister Johnny. Very good. That, that's, that's very good. I, I, I said there's no wrong answers. Let's look at this. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold the rod of Aaron. For the house of Levi was, was budded and brought forth buds and bl- bloomed blossoms and he yielded almonds. If you remember the story, all the other chiefs of the tribes said, why are you and Moses the big shots? Why are you guys calling all the, the plays? You know, in those days, a staff or a rod was a symbol of leadership. Just as it eventually evolved into a scepter, where a king now has a scepter. And so all these other chiefs of the tribe said, you know, we, we, should, be, we should have the, 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 the lead voice in this. I'm, I'm just as anointed as you. And so God told Moses, let's do this. Tell them to bring all their rods and lay them in the tabernacle. And the one that buds, that's who I'm going to choose. So not only what you said is true, but it's also a symbol of separation. It separated out Levi from the rest of them because it was his rod that budded. It's a symbol 
of separation. It's a symbol of leadership. It's a symbol of authority because it was the same Aaron's rod that was stretched out that God used indirectly to do all the miracles, to hit the rock. So it was a symbol that God has chosen you. It's a symbol that God has chosen you. Thy rod and thy staff. You are, you are right. It has more to it. It could teach a Bible study just on that. But what I am saying to, today is that it's a symbol of separation. Because this thing that was dead, <laughs> carved into a rod, bloomed. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And God separated us unto himself. So that was placed in there as a symbol that God had called not only Levi, but the whole nation of Israel. We are a peculiar people, a chosen generation. God has called us. So that's why it speaks about thy rod and thy staff. And it was placed in the heart of the tabernacle and the temple. And it budded and yielded almonds. First Peter 2.9, but ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. The priests were separated. They had special garments. They had special anointing. They had special food even. I was teaching yesterday at the PI and actually the topic uh, in this semester is holiness. And I was teaching them that uh, even the maple syrup the priests had, they had a special recipe for the bread that was made and it was exclusive. You couldn't eat that. You couldn't take that holy bread. Paul in the New Testament says, listen, I don't know what you're going through right now. It may be you're really struggling, but I I want to comfort you. We have an altar that they don't have to eat from. You are special. You are called out. You are unique. And that's what the symbolism of the rod. It meant that the tribe of Levi was chosen. And God wanted to signify that, so he told Moses, put it in the ark. The fact that the rod is there symbolizes that you are special. Amen. You are chosen. The last thing that was there was, of course, the golden vase that had the manna. Jesus, in Luke, when he was tempted, he quoted from this scripture in Deuteronomy. He said, it is written. And we find out that there hunger and their lack was deliberate. What? God, you you made me suffer lack? You made me get into a situation? Yes. And the reason why was so that I had to depend on you. I've told you, all my life, God has never let me get where I can just fold my hands and say, okay, I got 50,000 in the bank. Now, don't take my words for for truth now. I'm just saying this is a God has ne- I said God has never let me get to the stage where I can just start to depend on myself. <laughs> you know why? He he led them that way so that they had no choice but to depend on him. You are being led in through some things, through some desert so that Paul says it he says that, so that uh, my sufficiency was not about me was not about me, but upon him. Our sufficiency has got to be upon him. And so the manner was there to remind us of that. That they could not feed themselves in the desert. 
They could not, they would have died in the desert. But, you know, in Deuteronomy, Moses said, listen, 40 years, your shoes never wore out, your clothes never dimmed. They, they look brand, imagine you, every morning you wake up and your clothes look like somebody dry cleaned it. Like it was brand new. For 40 years, that was the miracle that happened. Moses said that their their clothes did not wear out. The reason why the manna was in there was to always remind them in their heart where their bread came from. God wants to remind us. It's one of the things that we should have that where we are dependency is on him. He said, I am that bread that came down. And he humbled thee. This was God's plan. Sometimes God has to, probably me is one of those people. That's why he never lets me get where I can just fold my hands and say, I got this worked out. Not a care in the world. I got this, got the 401k. I got this, I got everything, got the house. No, I'm telling you, he's never let me get there. I get this close and I'm almost there and then something will happen. (laughs) Every time. And I just have, I've learned now, I've learned Okay, God, you want my dependency on you. You know why? Because, because pride is an avenue of defilement. We're talking about consecration. So this was the third thing that they put in there. So I put faith there because it comes, it's tied with faith that our situation should not depend on our circumstances. Right? The prophet Elisha, they sent an army to go arrest him and his servant. But his situation did not depend on what looked like the circumstances. He knew better. His servant, of course, was all panicky. What are we going to do? The city is surrounded. He prayed, Lord, open his eyes. Sometimes God has to open our eyes to see that they are more with us than against us. So in consecration, you see he put these three things, right? He put the tablets, the word of God, the rods showing separation and being chosen, and then the manna to signify our dependency. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know. And then this is the part that Jesus quoted. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And I've told you, God, and I'm not boasting, it's just, it's just my life. God has allowed me to walk on water because otherwise I would sink and drown. It's not my choice, but he is, every time I'm in a situation that looks hopeless, and I truly say, Lord... I can't do this. He steps in. If we will, if we will keep that manna and re- realize where our supply comes from, it will block unbelief. It will block uh, situations of unfaith. Because all you have to do is look back at the impossible things God has already done. Already done. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what he shall eat or what he shall drink, nor Yet for your body, what he shall put on is not life more than meat and your body more than raiment. And he goes on to say about the sparrows, and I preach the message about not a single sparrow. Not a single sparrow falls to the ground that your heavenly father doesn't know it. Aren't you more valuable than some bird? (laughs) 
I hope you think you are. Because you'd be hurting God's feelings if you didn't. That would really hurt if my children thought that I cared about something more, you know, inanimate object than them. See, we hurt God's feeling through unbelief. Because he says, man, look what I've done for them. Don't they realize what I did? This is, this is exactly the example of Israel, right? After coming through the desert, after having miracle after miracle after miracle, they come up to the border of, and they said, oh, there's giants. <laughs> Ooh, we're scared. I don't think we can do this. And they forget that God made food fall every day. God made a rock give water and follow them. And yet here's some giants. Oh, no, we can't do this. It, it, it said God was displeased with them because of their unbelief. I never want to get to that place because of the fact that God has done so many miracles. We need to have our faith to block channels of defilement. Part of consecration, the Bible says, build up your faith. Build up your faith. Look back at what God has already done. The miracle of where you are standing right now. See, as I said, part of consecration is separation. And we have to block the channel to other things. Because that's the easiest thing Satan has is distraction. Block the channel. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So he is. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking like, is it Thomas the engine? I can do this. I can do this, right? What's that, that little children's thing with the Thomas the train engine? That's right. Somebody knows it. With, with, with God's help, I can do it. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. As long as we are aligned, as long as we are aligned with his will, there is nothing that can stop us. Nothing. It, yes. Her father, uh, you know, was, was one of these people who pulled himself up by the, my wife's father, by bootstraps. And when he died, he had this big business and left his family a, 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 a decent inheritance. And his motto was, it can be done. <laughs> his motto was, it can be. He was a hard worker all his life and he achieved a lot. He had a, a huge, you know, business and, 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 and properties and things. And, and, and his motto was, it can be done. It can be done. Through Christ, for sure, it can be done. So here's how we block defilement. Psalms 1, 2, 4. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's why the tablets were in the heart of the tabernacle. Again, how do we block the channel? It's so easy. You're going to leave here today. Someone will call you. Some circumstance will happen. And boy, you'll be in a panic. You'll be all, your week will be ruined. Let's see what Isaiah 26 says. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. See? Now, does, do any of you have some things that you can't fix? That God has to. I have some things that only God can can fix. That really only God can deal with. Now, once you realize that, you have to talk to yourself. 
and say, there is no human channel that's going to fix this. So then this is when you're going to give it to God and say, Lord, I give you this problem. I cannot fix it. I cannot solve it. It's beyond, it's beyond my capability. So I'm going to meditate upon your word that says through God I can do all things. Right? I'm going to meditate on all your promises that you said I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will meditate upon the fact that you said the rod and staff, they comfort. I'm going to meditate on the word that says thou preparest the table before me, even in the presence of mine enemies. I'm going to meditate on the word that says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I need those two. I really do. <laughs> I need the God's goodness and I need his mercy. Sure, David wasn't in any doubt. I mean, he knew God had forgiven him of murder. God had forgiven him of adultery. God had forgiven him of all kinds of things. So that's why he could say, surely. Let's say that together. Surely. Sh you got to say it like you mean it. Surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This is how you block the channel. This is how you, because it's so easy for Satan to take away your peace. So easy. You can be so happy and joyful, and I'm speaking of personal experience. And you just get one phone call. <laughs> just, just one phone call. One incident. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to show you something about Isaac. Isaac. He, he was a person who practiced meditation. He practiced meditation. And his mother had just died. And of course, you're human, so you're going to be sorrowful. So he went out to a special place. He went out to this well called Beer Lahai Roy. And when the Bible tells us names, it's for a reason, you know. It's not just to take up space. So you have to really look at the meaning of the name of the well. It's the well of the living water. Where was he meditating? By the well of living water. And because he, that's where he was meditating, God gave him a bride. And Isaac went out to meditate. You understand what this means? It was his practice. That's why Isaac never really ever had to fight a battle. You can look at some of the other biblical characters, and they were always involved in fights and struggles and gimme, it's mine. But Isaac had a secret. He meditated. This was his practice. He obviously believed whatever is mine, you can't take. You can't take mine. In the, in the 80s, I used to write songs, and I had a little studio and all of that, and people would you know, ask me how to copyright stuff, and I would help them copyright. You had to send it off to the Library of Congress and fill out these forms. Then they would ask me, what do you do? I say, I do nothing. He said, you don't copyright? No. I haven't written my best song yet. They can take anything. <laughs> I, can't, I can't lose something that God has given me. You can't take anything that belongs to me, and I can't take anything that belongs to you. If God has got a gift for you, no pastor can hold you down. It's not possible. It's not possible. I encourage everybody. But Isaac had a key 
to his peace. He meditated. And he knew where to go. He was by the well. It's in, in, in Hebrew, beer means well. Lahairoi, the, the, the well of living water, is the transliterization. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Genesis 25, 11, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Lahai Roy. He knew where to go to get some refreshment. He knew where to go to get his peace restored. Yeah, he was probably thinking, I'm 40 years old. Am I ever going to marry? <laughs> I'm ever going to find a, a, a soulmate, right? But... And my, my mother's just died. She was, she was my, you know, my best friend. She was the one, my confidant. She's gone. But he knew where to go. He blocked the worry. He blocked the, the stuff by meditating. And because of that in his life, he never actually had to ever fight. You look at his story. They took the wells from him, and he just kept on going. Because whatever is for you is for you. And of course, you know, this church is named after the well, Rehoboth. Why? Because God has made room. God has made room. See, consecration is about some of these things we've been talking about the last three weeks. Separation and sanctification. Now, I want to go into, and I'm, I'm not going to have time. I'm not gonna, well, this will keep till, till next week. But I was going to go into, there is a, there is a, a right that God gave them to that takes this and kind of puts it in a box. And we will continue this next week. If you could stand with me. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either a man or woman, now this is interesting because this is Old Testament, usually it was always men. But when a man or woman shall separate themselves... To vow a vow of the Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar or of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes. That means any fermentation, any spirits, nor eat the moist of grapes. They used to mash up the grapes and make like a, a paste, like dates or dried. All the days of his separation shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his heads grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother for, or for his brother or for his sister when they die because the consecration of his God is upon his head. See, we've taken some time here to make some vows unto God at the beginning of 2023. There's a lot more to this. I'll, I'll pick this up next week because this, is a, this kind of brings it together that God created this special uh, thing called the vow of a Nazarite. And we, we know of some very famous ones in scripture. Samson. And as long as he kept the vow, he had power. As long as he kept the vow, he had power. And nobody could touch him or defeat him. 
Amen. But we're, we'll pick this up next week. Aren't you glad that we're here today to hear what God has got in store for us? That when we come to him, when we maintain in our hearts the tablets, the word of God, when we recognize the rod of choosing, of separation, when we understand the manner is there to symbolize his sufficiency, when we understand, when we keep those in our heart, then we can be declared righteous. We can be declared holy. Hallelujah. You could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you today for your word that has washed us, that has given us faith, that has lifted our spirit, Lord, today. Lord, help us to block all channels of defilement through our minds, through our hearts, Lord God, that we will fill those channels with meditation, with thoughts of you, with thoughts of your deliverance, with thoughts of your blessing, with thoughts of your grace, hallelujah, and your love. Lord, we lift up your name today. Bless our second service, Lord. Move mightily. Let there be an anointing that breaks every yoke. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God a praise offering.